Hello, and welcome to ECS Chemical Biology's podcast for August 2010. I'm Jennifer Griffiths, Managing Editor with ACS Publications. In the August issue of ACS Chemical Biology, we feature four research articles and four letters. The letter from David Liu's group describes a super-positively charged GFP fusion protein that can rapidly enter mammalian cells with potency up to a hundredfold greater than that of corresponding fusions with known protein transduction domains. In other research, scientists in Susan Bain's lab report the creation of a new fluorescent probe for the labeling of tubulin that does not interfere with microtubule assembly. In an article, researchers led by Harold Schwalb use NMR and CD spectroscopy to examine the refolding of a bistable RNA to determine the influence of various agents on its refolding kinetics. And Bridget Wagner and colleagues introduce a screening method to identify small molecule suppressors of cytokine-induced beta cell apoptosis. We'll be talking with Wagner and Bain later in the program. In addition, an article by Larissa Podest and colleagues probes the mechanism of electron transfer in NADPH cytochrome P450 reductase. Researchers in Joshua Rabinowitz's lab use metabolomics to examine the complete metabolic effects of the antifolate antibiotic trimethoprim in E. coli. Giorgio Favrin, Justin Yerberry, and co-workers study the precise nature of toxic peptides and proteins implicated in amyloid diseases such as Alzheimer's. And finally, David Winkler's group reports results of a study showing that, contrary to the existing paradigm, zinc is not required for binding of molecules that mimic the cytokine thrombopoietin in their target receptor transmembrane domain. Now, we'll talk with Bridget Wagner. Hello, Bridget. Hi there, Jen. So why is beta cell apoptosis an important area of study, and why would you want to inhibit it? Well, beta cell apoptosis is an important part of the diabetic process and development of the disease. We study type 1 diabetes, which basically involves the destruction of the pancreatic beta cells, which are important for making insulin. And so patients that have type 1 diabetes have to rely on insulin injections for the rest of their lives. What we're doing is mimicking the process by which beta cells are killed by the immune system in a tissue culture conditions. So we add inflammatory cytokines to a rat beta cell line, and we are able to watch apoptosis happen over the course of a few days. We think by inhibiting it, the process with small molecules that we can find compounds that might be good leads to think about therapies for type 1 diabetes, which are sorely lacking. So how does your screening method work, and what are its advantages over other methods? Well, we actually use a very simple method to screen using cellular ATP levels, and this is a commercially available kit. What we do is, in culture, we add, like I said, inflammatory cytokines to every well of the 384-well plates, which are seeded with a RET insulinoma cell line. These are a good mimic of beta cells. And after two days, we can tell that the ATP levels are decreased about twofold in a very reliable way. So what we do for the screen is we add inflammatory cytokines, and then on top of that we add each compound from a screening collection. And after two days we look for basically a suppression of the effects of cytokines and therefore an increased level of cellular ATP. We think that this is highly advantageous just because of its great ease of use and it allows us to screen very many compounds. We screened over 300,000 compounds now. So how did you get interested in this area of study? 
Well, a lot of my work during graduate school and as an institute fellow at the Broad Institute was involved in studying cell differentiation in the context of fat cells and muscle cells, and I was always interested in metabolically very relevant tissue areas. We then got interested as a group in the process of type 1 diabetes, especially from the perspective of having so little in the way of drug therapies for this disease. So we took an approach that we think is very unbiased. We're looking for ways to basically protect the beta cell from the onslaught of the immune system in type 1 diabetes. So finally, what are the next steps in this project? Well, we've gone on to screen very many more compounds than were reported in this project. The first paper that we published is a pilot screen of about 2,000 compounds, and even there we found some very interesting molecules. Currently, we've now screened almost 350,000 compounds to look for really the most potent, most active compounds that will be able to suppress the effects of cytokines and restore some of the physiological functions to these beta cell lines. Eventually, we'd love to take some of our most precious hits and bring them into a mouse model of type 1 diabetes and see if we can basically rescue those mice from developing diabetes and then go on to think about, well, do we have a a lead candidate that could be used to develop actual therapies for humans? Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. We continue to define chem-bioglossary terms on the air. This month's keyword is agonist. An agonist is a compound capable of activating a receptor to induce a full or partial pharmacological response. Now, Susan Bain joins us to discuss her article. Hi, Susan. Hi, Jen. So why is it important to study tubulin? Well, tubulin is a protein that is found in all eukaryotic cells and it forms structures in the cells that are called microtubules. Microtubules are involved in essentially everything that the cell does that requires movement, which includes moving chromosomes during cell division, transport of vesicles and organelles from one part of the cell to the other. They're also very important targets for cancer chemotherapy. So understanding what is happening with microtubules inside cells helps us understand fundamental aspects of cell biology And it also helps us understand how current chemotherapeutic agents are used and possibly how to design new ones that are based on microtubules. So what are the advantages of your probe over others? Well, what we're doing with our probe is we are trying to look at a very specific activity that occurs inside cells involving microtubules. And that is, it's a post-translational modification of tubulin known as tyrosination. What happens is there's an enzyme in the cell known as tubulin tyrosine ligase, or TTL. And the only function of this enzyme is to put a tyrosine residue on the carboxy terminus of one of the subunits of the protein tubulin, alpha-tubulin. If you don't have this enzyme in your cells, such as TTL null mice have been developed that don't have this enzyme, you can't function. These mice die shortly after birth. So This post-translational modification is something that's very important in the cell. We know a little bit about what it does, but we don't really know very much. So we're interested in trying to study
study what's happening here and also to use this as a tool by which we can put a fluorescent probe at a very specific site that is only one location on one protein within an entire cell. So what we have done is we have taken advantage of the specificity of this enzyme and synthesized an unnatural amino acid known as 3-formal tyrosine to take its place as a substrate. So 3-formal tyrosine has a functional group on it, an aromatic aldehyde, that can react with nucleophiles that won't normally interact with the proteins. And so we've used the enzyme tubulin tyrosine ligase to put our reactive probe, formal tyrosine, onto our protein in the location that we're interested in studying. So then the next step is to take a reactive fluorophore to make a covalent bond with this particular protein. And what is different about our system is that we're using the type of methodology that has been looked at in the past, which is the well-known formation of hydrozones from hydrazines and aldehydes or ketones. But we've designed this with two factors in mind. One is that we want it to react at neutral pH, and the other is we would like for the covalent bond formation to cause the fluorophore to turn on. And that way we could see just the covalently modified protein without having background fluorescence, so we wouldn't have to remove the unbound fluorophore. So a couple of things that are unique then about this approach is the high specificity of the attaching the reactive functional group to the protein the nature of the electrophile and nucleophile to make the covalent bond occur in the intracellular environment, and then finally, the nature of the fluorophore such that we can get the fluorescence to either turn on or change color when we make our covalent bond. So how did you get interested in this area of study? I've always been interested in using fluorescent probes to study biological systems. And I've been particularly interested in using fluorescent probes that will perturb a system to the smallest extent possible. So what we would like to be able to do is we would like to be able to watch something that's happening, but to not perturb it while we're observing it. So, for example, something we've done in the past is I have a long-standing collaboration with Professor David Kingston at Virginia Tech, and we designed that he synthesized a fluorescent derivative of the molecule Taxol, which is an anti-cancer drug that binds to microtubules. So the fluorescent molecule that we designed differs from the normal molecule by just 15 Daltons, that is one nitrogen atom and one hydrogen atom. So it acts virtually identical to Taxol, but it has a shift in the fluorescent spectrum just enough so that we can observe what's happening with this molecule without seeing anything else, that is, without having interference with the protein. So with this particular project, because we're interested in the carboxy terminus of tubulin, and because this is an important post-translational modification that occurs with the protein, we would like to study it, but we would like to study it in such a way that we don't destroy the interaction that we're trying to look at. And so that was the purpose of coming to the project from this angle, which was to try to be able to put a tag on the protein that's very small. Again, here we've only increased our mass by a carbonyl. And 
then to try to react it with fluorophore that's fairly small. And these coumarin fluorophores that we're using are relatively small. So finally then, what are the next steps in this project? We are moving in two different directions. One is that we want to study our protein tubulin now that we have the probe system developed. We want to try to look at, say, the movement of the carboxy terminus within the protein and when the protein polymerizes, which we can do using fluorescent probes attached to the site. And we also want to try to observe this process occurring inside cells. So we want to be able to see the covalent bond being formed specifically with the protein. We've shown it can be formed inside the cell, but we haven't gotten to the point where we can look at the protein yet. That requires a lot more understanding of some of the basic functions that are happening with this particular system. But eventually, we hope to be able to watch tyrosinated tubulin move around in a live cell in real time. The other direction that we're taking this is to try to expand the utility of this system to make it more general. Not everyone's interested in tubulin. I don't understand that, but that is true. And so what we would like to do is to be able to take this system that we think works very well for our protein and be able to translate it to make it useful for other proteins. So, for example, we're using unnatural amino acid mutagenesis to put 3-formal tyrosine in place of tyrosine in a model protein. And we have found our results indicate that we are going to be able to do that, and we are working on trying to get that to be more efficient. So by being able to put this amino acid in place of tyrosine, we are, again, going for very minor perturbation of our target molecule. And then we also have the versatility of being able to attach our fluorescent probe to that site, and we can select the fluorescent probe from different ones that we've made. So the one that we presented in the paper is more in the blue region of the electromagnetic spectrum. When you're looking at cells, it's more useful to be looking out more towards the visible, and so that is what we're doing is designing more probes that will have this same phenomenon of turning on when it forms the covalent bond with our target molecule, but will be able to be observed, say, in the red and then the yellow part of the electromagnetic spectrum. One can also then use a system like this, once you have multiple colors, is you can then look at things occur as a function of time. That is, we can have one color in the cell first, and then later on we can put in another color, and we can see what has happened to our labeled system over that particular period of time. Great. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Now, we'd like to highlight some interesting content you'll find only on our website. In Ask the Expert, we give you the opportunity to pose questions directly to top scientists in the field. Our current expert is Dr. Sheng Ding, Associate Professor at the Scripps Research Institute. He will be fielding your questions about the use of chemical and functional genomic tools to study stem cell biology and regeneration. Submit your questions for him today at www.acschemicalbiology.org. To learn more about the authors of the papers in the current issue, please see the Introducing Our Authors feature in print and on the web. This month, we meet six young scientists, Abhijit Banerjee, Danny Cho, 
James Kronikin, Boris Fjertig, Yun Kyung Kwan, and David Thompson. Read this section and get a younger chemical biologist's perspective on their research. That's it for this month's show. Join us next month for more ACS chemical biology highlights and interviews with our authors. To learn more about the journal, please visit www.acschemicalbiology.org. Thanks to all of you for listening. <laughs>